Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading we just heard in the book of Philippians. You may be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, in your mercy you have granted us here to give us the joy that can only be found in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, we pray that it would be through Jesus that we receive this joy today and over the course of these next few months as we work through this book of Philippians. Grant us your Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, I meant to mention this at the beginning of the service today. We are beginning a, a two-month sermon series on the book of Philippians uh, today. Uh, this is going to take us through the end of October, and I, I'm really actually quite excited uh, about this sermon series. We were, we were talking about it in the staff meeting on, on Monday, on, excuse me, on, on Tuesday morning, and Pastor Matt asked me, what is it about this book that you think the church needs to hear? Why do you think this is an important book for us to go through here uh, at CLC over the course of the next couple of months? So before we really get into the text today, I, I want to give you a little bit of background as to why I think this is an important book to do. And I, I do apologize, there's going to be a little bit of autobiography here this morning. Uh, sermons should not really ever be about the pastor, they should always be about Jesus. But I do think there is some helpful information here in this little story I have about why I think this is a good book uh, for us to be going through. So while I was on my sabbatical towards the end of that time, uh, I was blessed with uh, a morning kind of to be alone and to pray and to meditate on the Word and, and to really think through where we were going as a church. Who are we as CLC and what needs to be happening in our congregation? So to take me through this time of prayer, I decided to, for whatever reason, and I don't really know the reason, uh, I decided to look at the book of Philippians. One of the things I love in the New Testament is when you read St. Paul's letters, Paul, who is the author of the majority of our letters in the New Testament, I love the books he writes, these beautiful letters that he writes to the congregations that he cares about. Specifically, I love his introductions to these churches and the prayers that he prays for them. And Philippians 1 has a beautiful prayer for the congregation there. And so uh, I love that prayer, so I was drawn to it. And I thought, here's what I'll do. I'll pray through that, and then I'll kind of work through the book as I pray and think about life here at CLC. And, and as I was doing this, I was found that every section of this text, every portion of Philippians, as I was reading through it, there was something going on in the church that would come to mind and I would say, this is, this is a group of people, uh, this is a person, this is a circumstance that needs this message from Philippians. These are things going on that these people need to hear, whatever's going on in these particular situations. And I was, I was thinking about uh, situations that we have here in the church. I was thinking about all the things that we need to hear and specifically how we as a church are a congregation that is both founded on the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, but we are also a church that is continually loved by Jesus Christ graciously. And how we live in a world right now where we need to have that message of forgiveness and mercy and grace, of, of Jesus' love for us, constantly drilled into our ears, because there's so much, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but there's so much going on in the world that wants to take that away from us. And so we need to be grounded in this gospel. And I began to realize as I thought about our church and I read through this book that we are a church that is loved by Jesus. That Jesus 
He comes to us every time we gather for worship and we hear his word that goes into our ears and into our hearts, and it gives us faith. We're a church where Jesus grants us his Holy Spirit so that every time we learn the word together, our minds are being renewed by the work of that Holy Spirit. And we're a church where Jesus uses our hearts and our hands and our efforts to care for one another and to care for everyone God sends our way. This is a congregation that is loved by Jesus. And that is a message we need to constantly hear. And because we are a congregation who is loved by Jesus, because we are a congregation that Jesus is constantly working on and constantly working for, what happens is is that we become a congregation that loves Jesus back. We begin to confess our faith. And and though our love for Jesus is, is constantly wavering and wafting and our faith isn't as strong as it's supposed to be, yet when the Holy Spirit is working on us, he begins to produce this fruit in our lives. And I as I was reading Philippians, I started thinking about all the ways I see the Lord doing this kind of work in our church. And I got excited. I got filled with joy. And I and I found that as I was reading Paul's letter and I read these words where he says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, making all of my prayers with joy. I found that as I read those words, I wasn't merely reading those words, but I was actually praying those words. That I was making my prayers for CLC with joy, to be a part of a gathering of the saints, these saints, of, of being in the church with, with our leadership and with our staff, all of us who have been baptized into Christ together and are called now to work together for the sake of the gospel. This filled me with joy. And so here's why I think we need to go through this book right now as a church. Because of the work that Jesus is doing on us and the work that Jesus is doing for us, we constantly need to hear that. And also because of the joy that brings. It's those things that prompted this series on the book of Philippians. Because throughout this incredible letter, we're going to find St. Paul constantly pointing us back to the joy that is found only in Christ Jesus. This book is filled with gospel-produced joy, what we might call complete joy. And it is my prayer that as we work through this series, it would restore the joy. With all due respect to Christine Vogel saying, you might want to check out her books titled Restoring the Joy, uh, that it would restore the joy we have in Christ Jesus. And show us what it means to be a congregation as well as individuals filled with the joy of Christ in a world that just seems so bent on sucking the joy away from us, taking it all away. And I don't think I have to make a strong case for that. I don't think I have to sit up here and make a strong case for you that we live right now in what seems like a joyless world. I cannot tell you the number of conversations I'm having right now where people seem to be getting more and more anxious, more and more fearful, more and more depressed. I mean, depression and anxiety, just look at the numbers. They're on the rise, and this bears itself out in the conversations that I'm having. And it'd be easy for us here this morning to go through the litany of why all of these things are happening and point fingers at everyone else for being responsible for this. It'd be easy for me to sit here and say, well, it's because everything has just become so political, and I can't watch any TV show or movie or even watch sports without having some political agenda pushed on me. 
Or it'd be fun to just sit here and poke fun at all that social media stuff. You know, it's all the social media where everybody is, is sort of taking part in this media that is teaching us to be judgmental and self-righteous and legalistic. Like, that's, that's what I could point to. And we could blame everything else around us. But if you really want to know why we're not going to do all that this morning, it's because as soon as we start playing that game, we put ourselves in the seat of the Pharisees. And we become the legalists. And we start saying, thank God I'm not like those people over there. And there's nothing that removes joy from life more than putting yourself in your own self-righteous seat and looking down on everyone else. All of these things, whether they're outside of us in the culture or even in our own sinful hearts, there's all these things working together to remove joy from us. Not to mention the fact that we deal with issues in our lives. Not to mention the fact that we have problems in our church. We have problems in our family. I mean, I, we have families in our congregation that are literally being torn apart because you guys are trying to stand firm upon the gospel. And we're seeing it have hard, hurtful impact when people don't like what you have to say. What we're witnessing in our own congregation, people who are dealing with all kinds of diseases and cancer. I mean, the, the list just goes on. I just told you I wasn't going to go through a litany of things. There's your litany of things. There seems to be no joy these days. So what we're going to do here is we're going to find joy, but here's kind of a problem. Whenever you set out on this process to find joy, it almost becomes counterproductive. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful line uh, somewhere where he says that, <laughs> that the, the quickest way to lose joy is to pursue it. Sit down and say, today I'm going to be joyful. Today I'm going to be joyful. Today I'm going to be joyful. You know, you, you look like this. You're not finding joy. You look just like you're joyless. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Frankly, joy is something that we have to encounter. Joy is something that has to find us. It must come to us graciously, miraculously. Joy is always going to be found outside of us, coming to us. That's because joy only comes properly from Christ. And he's always operating by his grace alone. And Paul, I think, demonstrates this beautifully for us today as we get into the book of Philippians, this wonderful letter of joy. Paul writes these words to the Philippian congregation, and here we see at least two places where Paul finds joy in his life. He says this, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of the grace, of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul here finds two reasons to have joy, or rather, joy finds Paul in two ways here. And it's interesting, just before we get into this, he first says, um, I find joy because we have a partnership in the gospel. So that's the first thing, partnership in the gospel. He is partners in the ministry of, of proclaiming God's word to one another and to the world. He has a partner in this in the Philippian church. Now, what's interesting about that partnership is that it's not a partnership where they're working side by side day to day, but rather it's a partnership where the Philippians are in Philippi, uh, and Paul is somewhere else 
in jail. Did you catch this in the letter there? In our reading this morning, he speaks of his imprisonment. Paul is writing to his partners in the gospel from a distance while he is in jail. Now, scholars debate which jail time is this for Paul because as it turns out, that guy goes to jail a lot. He's going around proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't, and Caesar, not a fan of that message, and so Paul keeps finding himself thrown in jail. Now, as he's there, uh, Paul finds reason to rejoice because this church he worked to plant is thriving. So let's do a little bit of background here and hear who these people are who Paul has partnership with. You heard it in the children's message this morning. This is a congregation that was planted by Paul. He and his friend Silas were on a missionary journey, uh, and they went to Macedonia. Philippi is a city in Macedonia. And there they came to this river where many Jews would gather to worship. And Paul began to preach the gospel there. And people started to believe, among those people who started to believe was this woman named Lydia. Lydia, who was a uh, person who worked with purple dye and made purple clothes, which is a very lucrative business in those days. She heard the gospel, and she was thrilled by it. She believed it. Faith came into her ears and took her heart, and she came to Christ. And so she and her whole household, probably the babies included, were baptized right then. And then, when she started hearing Paul preach, she said to he and Silas, why don't you guys come to my house? If you deem me to be faithful, why don't you stay with me? We want to take care of you guys and hear more about Jesus. So they're making their way to Lydia's house, and as they're on their way there, uh, this demon-possessed girl comes up and starts harassing them. Now, she is, uh, according to the the text in the book of Acts, you can read about this in Acts chapter 16, Uh, She has a spirit of divination, and I don't really know exactly what that means. I think in modern-day terms it would be something like this. She's a demon-possessed psychic. All right, one job, I suppose. Uh, So she is this demon-possessed psychic who's going around and harassing Paul and Silas. Paul, not a big fan of demon-possessed psychics who harass him, turns and says, be quiet, and he casts the demon out. Now, it turns out that if you employ demon-possessed psychics, When they stop having demons, this is bad for business, okay? So her bosses get furious because Paul is now bad for the economy. And they come and they get Paul and Silas thrown in prison. So that night as Paul and Silas are in prison, they're sitting down, and I love this. You want to talk about joy in difficult circumstances. They're They're like bound up in chains, and they've got their little Lutheran service book hymnals out, right? And they're singing hymns to the Lord at this point. It's just this wonderful scene. And as they sing... There's a great big earthquake, and every prisoner's bonds are loosened. Now, the Philippian jailer was told that if any of these guys escape, it's kind of his head, and he thought that I'm done for. I might as well end matters myself. And as he's just about to do that, Paul and Silas speak up, and they say, stop it, stop it, don't do this. And he says, don't do this. And he says, yeah, listen, we're all still here. And he says, what must I do then to be saved? Now, he might mean to be saved from, (laughs) you know, consequences. And Paul and Silas are like, did you say saved? Let us tell you about a friend of ours named Jesus Christ. And they give him the gospel. And suddenly this jailer believes. And his whole family, probably even the babies, are baptized at this time. And now you have this church established in Philippi. Now, this is how this church gets started there. And you know, Paul eventually is set free from prison and he leaves and continues his journey. But you read these letters and you know that it's always weighing on Paul. What's going on with these congregations that I have helped plant? 
Well, we'll learn as we work through this book that everything in Philippi was not all roses. They had issues. We'll learn that there was people fighting within the church. I know you can't even imagine such a thing, but it's true. It's happened. There's people fighting within the church. There's influences from the outside trying to come in and, and teach, the, uh, teach the church there to leave their faith in Jesus Christ. And all of these difficulties within and without are taking place. And yet, Paul receives word that the church remains firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this gives him joy. First, he sees the fruit of it because they continue to support him, one, uh, with their prayers and certainly with their mission dollars. But more so, he finds joy in the fact that there they are continuing to be his partners in preaching the gospel. They continue to preach Christ. They continue to trust Christ no matter what circumstances they are facing. And this is what gives me joy as I think about this book, excuse me, think about our church in light of this book. Here's the thing. We have issues in our church. We just do. It's a reality. It may surprise you to find this out, but we actually still have sinners in our pews. No, it's true. And some of those sinners are on our staff. And every Sunday, we got a sinner preaching to us from the pulpit. So this is like a whole congregation with lots of sinners. You know what sinners bring with them? A good time. No, sinners bring sin. So we're going to have issues in the church. We're going to have problems. It's a reality that we have to face and deal with, but we deal with it with the Word of God. We also live in a culture right now that is just infiltrated with all kinds of thoughts and ideas and movements that seek to get us to doubt the Word of God and to turn from Christ Jesus. It's everywhere we go. And these ideas are constantly trying to find their ways into the doors of the church. And yet, you look a lot like the church in Philippi. Because though these things are going on, we are a congregation that remains grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, hearing and learning and caring all on account of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is the fact that we are united by the gospel of Jesus' saving work for you and for your salvation, that we are partners in the gospel. And that's why this is a congregation that is a congregation of joy, because it is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, what Paul is not joyful in with the Philippians is that they all sort of are like like-minded individuals who continue to get together and support him. He's not happy because of some sociological phenomenon. He's not excited to know that he's got a bowling league that's still bowling together. That's not what he's happy about. Paul is excited and he's filled with joy because Jesus Christ has not let the Philippians go and he continues to hold them in the palm of his nail-pierced hand. Paul rejoices, and this is the second thing. First, that he has partners in the gospel, and second, that they are fellow partakers of grace. What does that mean to be a fellow partaker of grace? What Paul means there is that, listen, just as Jesus has graciously saved me, says Paul, just as he has graciously baptized me and brought me into his kingdom, just as he graciously died for my sins and rose again, just as he is now graciously using all of my circumstances, be they joyful or difficult circumstances, just as Christ Jesus is doing all of this for me and bringing me to the day of salvation, Paul rejoices because he says, I know he's doing the same for you. That he who began the good work of saving you is going to bring it to completion. 
so that when we arrive before Jesus Christ on the last day, Paul says, we will arrive together. Only then we will be free of our bonds and we will be singing the praises of Jesus Christ before the throne and the Lamb for all of eternity. This hope of a common salvation is what fills Paul with joy. Paul's joy, then, is our joy as well. Joy in this, that when Jesus begins a project, his salvation project, he finishes the job. Jesus is not like me when it comes to plumbing or fixing something in my house. Like where I start the project and I only make matters worse and then my wife has to call someone else to come in and like pay for it to get it done because um, I ruined it. Because of this, I've just stopped doing projects altogether. Uh, and it saved us a lot of money. Um, but Jesus is not like that. He who began the good work of your salvation, when he died for you on the cross, when he rose again for your salvation, when he baptized you into his name and saved you and brought you into his kingdom, when he began that work in you, he didn't say, now I've started it, you finish it. He knows his chances with us. No. He began the good work and he's going to bring it to completion. So that all the circumstances you are facing right now, good or bad, trials or times of rejoicing, Jesus is using all of that to sanctify you, to bring you, to, to, to conform you to his image, to bring you to eternal life. Basically, he's just teaching you to die to yourself daily and trust him more and more. And in all of this, he's not going to back off of his promise. He will carry you to the day of eternal life. And this is why we have joy. Joy drives out all the fear that we have in us. Fear that we might just be too sinful for this Jesus. You're never too sinful for Jesus. Jesus is the one who daily and richly forgives you for all of your sins, and he's never going to stop. You don't have to fear that you've not done enough to earn your salvation. Of course you have. Jesus has. That's his job. It's not your job, so let him do the work. He's done everything necessary to save you. It is finished, he says, and he will finish it for you. And with all that fear gone, you are left pure joy. Joy in the fact that you have a God who delights in you and will delight in you for all of eternity, all on account of the dying and rising of Jesus Christ for you. I do love how Paul concludes his introduction today with this wonderful prayer. But towards the end, he tells the Philippians that he is yearning for them with the affection of Jesus Christ. This Jesus affection, the affection that Jesus has for you, isn't a mere feeling of warmth in his divine belly, <laughs> but it is a fiery, unending love that burns for his beloved church. Jesus is relentless in his love for you and the grace that he showers upon you, the grace that he gives to all of us. It's that love and that grace that will sustain us to the day when he returns, and it is his love and his grace that he gives to you and to me that will cause us to have great joy for all of eternity. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the joy that is ours in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would guide us through this book of Philippians over the next two months. Teach us, Lord, what it means to live in the joy of Jesus Christ, even when we may not feel that joy. Help us to know 
but eternal joys await us. Sustain us into life everlasting and keep us always in your care. In Jesus' name, amen.